I don't know if any of you have ever been to um, a wine tasting. Funnily enough, I've never been to one. Um, if anyone knows, I, I don't drink, so it would be a bit of a waste. I'd be sitting there going, hmm, this is fun. Um, but what they do at wine tastings, from what I gather, is that you're given a glass of wine and you're told to stick your nose in it. Is that correct? Which I thought was a novel way to drink wine. But anyway, um, but whenever people, do, we, people are at wine tasting, they, they kind of take the glass and they, they hold it like, like that or like this because that's very refined. And they stick their nose in it and they swirl it around and, and they say things like, oh, I can smell blackberries and freshly mown grass. And I can tell that the farmer wore size nine boots. It's that kind of strange thing, right? I have a glass in front of me. I stick my nose in it. It smells like wine. So whenever you go to these things, you're told that these things have got complexity of flavors. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Remembering it's one fruit with many complex flavors. And we're looking at one particular flavor uh, this morning. We're looking at this flavor of faithfulness. Remembering that the fruit of the Spirit of God within our lives is not some kind of human characteristic checklist of how well we're behaving as Christians. It is about the evidence of the ongoing transformative work of God's Spirit in our lives. The more we hand over ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the more God flavors come out of us. So we're looking at faithfulness. I'm going to tell you a little story about a little dog a little um, sky terrier called Bobby. Bobby was a sky terrier who lived in Edinburgh in the 19th century. He belonged to a man called John Gray, who worked for the Edinburgh City Police, and he was a night watchman. And wherever John went, um, Bobby would go with him, and he would you know, potter along everywhere, and eventually, and sadly, John passed away. And he was buried in Greyfriars uh, graveyard and, uh, beside Grey, Greyfriars Kirk. And uh, for 14 years, this little Sky Terrier Bobby would go every day to John Gray's grave and sit by it for 14 years. And the only thing that stopped him after 14 years was the fact that little Bobby died as well. And he was buried not far away from John Gray's grave. This is the story of Greyfriars Bobby. Now, perhaps that's the picture of faithfulness that we have. That, a sense that faithfulness is that kind of nice, cute, ever at your heel, always ready to you know, do what you want, ever so loyal and faithful. Maybe there's something a little bit more. I looked up the word faithfulness, like Lisa looked up goodness last week, and uh, like goodness is the state of being good, faithfulness is the state of being faithful, which was helpful. But then I looked a bit further at all the synonyms, and these are all the different ways that we can understand faithfulness, and in fact, many, many more. Richard, can I really ask you to do something with those blinds, because I keep on blinding myself as I walk. Is that okay? Um, so, this sermon's going to last till Tuesday, as we take one. No, we're not going to take it one at a time. I don't know what our picture of faithfulness is, but the Greek word that we're looking at within Galatians 5 and 22, the Greek word that we're looking at is pistis. And 
pistis actually, what's interesting is the fact there's no word for faithfulness in the New Testament at all. It doesn't exist. There's confused looks on your faces. Because the word pistis actually means faith. It says the fruit of the Spirit is faith, which is itself a fascinating thing that faith is a fruit of God's Spirit that grows within inside us, within us, and it's from the Holy Spirit. But William Barclay, the great scholar, he said that this word faith, this word pistis, is actually well known in Greek uh, culture, meaning trustworthiness. So that's where we get this idea of trustworthiness and faith. Put together, we get faithfulness. But what is it? If the Holy Spirit is growing it in me, if we're committing ourselves to wanting to see more of it in our lives, surely we should know what actually it is. It's a bit like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a spa. Has anyone been to a spa for treatment? I've gone a couple of times. It still feels like an alien planet at times. Okay? I go in and I read the treatments that are available. I don't know what a thalassotherapy treatment is. If I sign up for it, I kind of want to know what it is. So if we're signing up for, I want more faithfulness, let's at least understand what we're talking about, shall we? You may have a really clear idea of what it means to be faithful. You may think, actually, I'm a pretty faithful person. I'm loyal. I stick by people. That's all well and good. But remember these fruit of the Spirit. They're not characteristics we can just will within ourselves. These are characters of God that are grown within us by the Holy Spirit. So our first port of call is understanding the faithfulness of God. So many times in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, the wisdom books, and in the prophets, we learn about God being faithful. It's a common theme in our worship songs. I mean, Catherine chose some fantastic songs for this service and still to come, and, there's, and Bernard did for the 915 as well. Here's a classic one we sung in both services. Great is thy faithfulness. It's a classic. What do we mean? Do we mean all those different ways that I just mentioned on a, had on the screen a few moments ago, all these different synonyms for faithfulness? To be honest, they're a series in themselves. When we think about great is your faithfulness, Lord unto me, it's a personal experience, isn't it? of God being faithful. These verses maybe help us draw out what it means. But this morning I want to focus on three aspects, just three, of faithfulness of God. And these are a rock, a ring, and a robe. A rock, a ring, and a robe. So the first one we're looking at is a rock. Now, I suspect this is a pretty common understanding of God's faithfulness in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's, it's used a lot of the times. In fact, here's just an example of one of them. In uh, Psalm 62, I did have it and I've lost my place. And it says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes for him, from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. He alone is my rock. It's a common theme that God is our rock. The Hebrew word for, for this faithfulness, this faithfulness of God, is from the Hebrew called imuna. And imuna means firmness. That's the base word for all Hebrew words. If you read God is faithful in any of the Old Testament, it comes from this original word meaning firmness. We get the word amen from it. Now, a lot of people think amen is just some kind of spiritual punctuation for the end of a sentence, but it's not. 
Amen means right on. Sure. I agree. Absolutely. Dead on. Right with you. That's what amen comes from. There's a sureness, a firmness, a security to the end of prayers. Imuna, faithfulness, is about solidity. It's about firmness of God. And actually one of the uh, really popular names of God is this one, El Shaddai. And lots of people are immediately hearing Amy Grant singing in their ears. El Shaddai. Now, it's commonly translated as God Almighty. But actually, some of the, uh, the understanding of the word Shaddai comes from an ancient Hebrew word which means mountain. God of the mountain, or God the mountain. This doesn't mean that we worship a big bit of rock. But when people were struggling to try and grasp the solidity and, and unchangeableness of God, what is the most solid thing that they knew of? What's maybe the most solid thing that we know of? And the most immovable, the most permanent? A mountain. El Shaddai, God Almighty, God the mountain. It's interesting that the first place that this occurs, this word El Shaddai, is in Genesis 17 verse 1. And it's where... Um, God is first speaking to Abraham and reveals himself. And God says, I am El Shaddai. I am the non-changing, permanent mountain God. The one that's not going to change. And then he says, walk before me. I'm not changing. Walk before me. There's so much more to this God is faithful than a little lapdog called Bobby that runs alongside you and is there at your beck and call. There's a sense of permanence, of unchangingness, of reliability. In a day and age in the Old Testament where people worshipped capricious and changeable and unpredictable gods, one day your God could be in a good mood with you. You've done all our sacrifices. The next day, they've woken up in a grump. You don't know. They are so changeable. God says in the midst of this place, when Moses says, what's your name? He says, I am. I am. End of. You, know, you are what? It doesn't matter. I am. Wait, wait. You're a mountain? No, I am. I just am. And that captures the solidity and the firmness of who God is in his name, Yahweh. Yesterday, today, forever, I just am. Social commentators highly trained academics on social issues and even the person on the street at this moment in time are asking a similar question. What is going on with the planet? What's going on when the United States, the United Kingdom, the European Union are anything but united? When base tribalism seems to be coming to the fore? Everything's moving too fast. Change is the only constant and we've got essentially cultural whiplash when we don't even know what way to look. One writer, one commentator describes it like this. There are difficult times. People are self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous, crude and rude. It's dog-eat-dog. It's unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, arrogant, addicted to lust. That, that reflects a little bit about what we see when we turn on our television sets and we see outside there, isn't it? It was written by Paul to Timothy. He said, this is what the last days are going to look like. 
This is what going to be. This could be summed up in one word: faithlessness. This is what the world is like when we lose a sense of solidity. We could do with a bit of stability, reliability, solidity, and firmness in our world, couldn't we? We could do with a little bit of faithfulness, something to rely upon. I think it's pretty amazing that even in this confusing, troublesome times that we are living in, in many places, particularly in the UK, authorities, agencies, and individuals are turning to the church for help. This is in no way a jingoistic, backslapping, self-congratulations, well done us. It's because the church, where people are turning to the church, are being faithful to the nature of God, whose heart is for the broken and the lost and the needy and the disenfranchised and the dispossessed. And people are turning to the church because we are the body of Christ, faithful to who he is. His mercy, his compassion, and his love. One of the passages that's so important to us at this time as we're looking to where God wants to lead us is Isaiah 58. We've looked at it a number of times. And in the message version, it says this. You, God's people, will be known as those who can fix anything. Restore, rebuild, renew. It reflects the truth of God, the immovable mountain. That whatever comes, God remains. I am. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, during half term, I, uh, we went to, back home to Northern Ireland. Some people knew that because um, they could tell that my accent had been recharged. <laughs> Certainly they told me that anyway. And so I, 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 whenever I go home to Northern Ireland, there's something I look for every time I go over that makes me know that I'm, I'm home. And it's not just potato, cheese, and onion crisps. And it's not just potato bread and soda bread, I promise you. It's this. It's the silhouette of the Mourn Mountains. And no matter where I go, when I, my, my family live in North Down, and, and the Mourn Mountains are in South Down, but even from where we live, you can see in the distance this beautiful silhouette of the Mourn Mountains that tell me that I'm home. I turned to see this site. It's not changed since I remember mum and dad taking us to Newcastle for our summer day trips out and sitting below Sleeve Donard and going, whoa, that's a mountain. Actually, it's probably more like a big hill, but it's a mountain whenever you're six. And whenever I was a teenager trumping through the peat bogs in the heart of the morns for my Duke of Edinburgh or sitting looking over a vista when I was camping, seeing the Silent Valley and seeing how beautiful it was, not much has changed in my 42 years. In fact, not much has changed in its 56 million years. It's been there that long. Very little change. There are new buildings and new areas. There are new towns that when I go back, I don't recognize them, but I go back and I recognize this because it is unmoving, unchanging. I have to be honest, I I wrestled a little bit with this um, sermon on faithfulness because it's just so vast. And so one of, one of the ways that I know if I'm struggling is that I get out my old journals and see if there's something in there that can direct me. And I was skipping through a number of them which cover, I couldn't believe where the first entries were so many years ago. And I read through little snapshots of my life. And it reflected quite often some really dark times. 
reflected times whenever I doubted myself, whenever I was really, really down, when I doubted God, when I had questions, when things happened I just didn't understand. And all the way through it, through all those journals, one thing was constant, and that was I recognized the God that was in it. I recognized him. From when I was 14 to whenever I was 20 to when I was 30 and more, I recognize the same God. And that's why God is the rock, the mountain. Throughout the Psalms, there are at least 17 different places where God is directly referred to as the faithful rock refuge, at least 17, probably more. He is the same. And over those years, I've grown to know him more, but he's not changed. He is the rock. A number of years ago, we, we had a dog. Before we had children, we had a dog. We practiced. Um, and our dog was a big German shepherd called Max. Now, Helen and I decided we wanted a dog, so we went to the RSP. RS, yeah, that one. You know what I'm talking about. I was, I, yeah, that one, that one. And uh, we went in, and we wanted a puppy, because puppies are cute. That's what we wanted, a little German shepherd puppy. So we were going, and we saw this German shepherd running up and down and jumping. It was just mad. And then um, we turned around, and they said, and then there's, there's this one, that, and they, they didn't tell us the full story about him, but they, it was a big, beautiful German shepherd dog, and we, and we went in to have a look, and he looked at us, and he came up and just stood beside us and went, right, I'm coming with you. <laughs> so we took him. He was the size, he had paws the size of a lion. It was great. You went out walking with him, nothing was touching you. <laughs> He was a beast of a dog, but there was one thing that, you know, you threw sticks, he wasn't interested. He loved stones, big rocks, and this is what he would do. You'd go out for a walk, and he'd find a really big rock, and he'd put it in his mouth, and he'd run around with this massive rock in his mouth, and then, and, and, uh, sorry, I promised Helen that I would tell you exactly what he did. He'd drop the stone in front of him, and then he would go, <laughs> Funny enough, he never got anything back, but it didn't stop him. That's the thing. Stones don't give much back, do they? Rocks don't give much back. And that's why we can't just stick with the ring, rose, that rock. We have to go to a ring. Because this describes something about God's faithfulness more, even more than the rock. Wedding ring is the symbol of marriage. And marriage, the wedding motif, it's an image which is frequently in the Bible in regards to God's relationship with his people. From the Song of Songs, that favorite book of teenage boys in youth groups where you get to read woo, rather racy things, but actually beautiful things that describe about human relationships, but actually reflect something of the heart of God as well. Right through to Jesus' parables about wedding feasts and wedding banquets and being prepared, through to Revelation and the bride of Christ and the marriage feast of the Lamb. The reason this is used so much is because that is the level and depth of relational intimacy and commitment that God is trying to convey to us. In fact, we miss out because we're not from the ancient Near East, 
of 4,000, 6,000 years ago. When we read the Old Testament, when we read the law, we see a whole list of do's and don'ts and commandments and regulations. If you were reading it in ancient Near East, it reminded people of marriage contracts. Even back in the Old Testament, God was setting about a marriage between him and his people. So we love a good love story, don't we, gentlemen? We do, don't we? We do. And there is a really beautiful love story in the Bible. Beautiful and painful. The story of Hosea. The story of Hosea, if you don't know the story, the, the scripture is up there from chapters 1 and chapters 3. These are the main storylines. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom, and he was called by God to marry essentially marry a prostitute who would continue to be adulterous. He was called to marry her even though he knew that she would go off with other men. And so he did. And so she did. Would go off with other men. Even to the point where she probably sold herself into some kind of um, uh, pagan prostitution, some temple prostitution where she was essentially a sex slave because it says... God said, go and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man as an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. I told you, mince pies are evil. (laughs) So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lithic of barley. And I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. He took her back. The pain involved, if you should read Hosea, these are just the storyline. The rest of it is poetry of God's broken heart over Israel being unfaithful to him. And is potent poetry and reveals a broken-hearted God. The thing is, we are, have been so often unfaithful to God. Now, you might think, yeah, but I'm pretty faithful. I've been going to church all my life. I go at least hmm, once a month. I'm pretty regular. I'm on the Sunday gang router. I make coffee. I go to a small group whenever there's nothing good on TV. I I do all these things. I'm pretty faithful. Okay. How much time do you spend with your beloved God? How much do you freely admit to those outside that you are in a long-term committed relationship with Jesus. When they mention his name, do you get a little bit embarrassed? Or are you faithful to your beloved? Or perhaps you're like those people who fancy a good night out or on a long-distance business trip and the ring is removed because then the options are open. The danger is that we flirt Dalliance with other gods. Common ones like money, position, power, significance, possessions, identity, self-security, sex, and other addictions. Self-reliance. We dalliance and flirt. And these are dangerous things. They can lead to unfaithfulness. We know that divorce and relational family breakdown is increasing in our world. The ease of it and the popular acceptance of it and the reality of infidelity, actually, it doesn't cover up the fact that this is a damning and broken thing that causes really significant hurt to many, many people. 
doesn't matter how popularly it's portrayed on television or in the movies. This hurts and damages. Infidelity, remember, is not just limited to extramarital sex, but trust can be broken in so many different ways. And that's the reality of relational breakdown. And we as humans find it incredibly difficult to be 100% faithful and very easy to be faithless, especially when the choice is between others and ourselves. And so one of the rings is broken. Thank God for this verse. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You know, there's those things, those um, riddles like, is there, a, is there a rock? Can God make a rock that he can't move? Ooh, I don't know. Here's something he can't do. He cannot deny who he is. He is faithful, even when we are faithless. He will never break faith with us. He can't. It's who he is. And what's important is we understand the difference between a covenant and a contract. And a contract, it says, I will if you will. If you will, I will. God didn't make a contract with humanity. He made a covenant, which basically says, I will. I will. Regardless of what you do, I will. That's remarkably similar to whenever Moses said, what's your name? And he says, I am. I will be. This is uh, captured in a word called hesed, which is about God's covenant, loyalty, his love, his grace towards us. He keeps his promises. We've been singing about that even this morning. And this is where it gets a bit tricky, God and his promises. Because when times are tough, tragedies occur, uh, and we are maybe the victims of, of other people's decisions, or we just see senseless illness, and we are confused. And we ask God, what's he about? Where is his faithfulness? And I've known, sadly, when I was back home in Northern Ireland, I was chatting with a good friend of mine, and we were thinking about the number of people we used to hang around with who, over the years, for loads of different reasons, have drifted and left the faith. And often it's because they felt that God has not kept his promises, not kept his side of the bargain according to them. And a question, a difficult question we need to ask is, did God actually give you that promise? Or did someone else give it to you? Or did you assume it for yourself? I know one person whose life was pretty much put on hold and was really damaged by some well-meaning Christians who prophesied over her that she would find this wonderful, handsome stranger who'd walk into a dance room and sweep her off her feet. And she was stuck on that false promise for years. God had never promised her that. Come to Jesus and all will be easy and okay. He never said that. In fact, he said quite the opposite. He said, come to me and it's going to be difficult. You're going to get opposition. People are going to try and drag you down. You're going to have an enemy. People are going to persecute you, make fun of you, and drag you through the dirt. Hebrews 11, a great chapter on faith. And it lists all the heroes of faith. We have Moses, we have Abraham, we have Jacob. Very ordinary people, very flawed people who trusted God and also at times were faithless. And verse 39, it says they never got what they were promised. 
Thank God for verse 40, which says they got a lot more. God had something more planned for them. Because we all want the happy ending, don't we? Orson Welles said this. If you want the happy ending, that depends, of course, where you stop your story. We could be going through what seems like a sad ending. But God promises that at the end of the day, at the end of the full story, it will be a happy ending. If we stop our story early, it might seem like it's a sad one. We lost one of our great saints just recently, a guy called Eugene Peterson. And he, um, his seminal work was based on a, a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche. And it was this, long obedience in the same direction. Does not capture what our faithfulness to God should be like. Long obedience in the same direction. Because we argue about success We want to see things succeed, but actually God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to long obedience in the same direction and never promises that it's going to be absolutely easy. And in a world of instant everything, the pursuit of experience, of pleasure, of self-actualization, in a world of broken promises and broken words, faithfulness is not highly prized. Anyone who has tried to renew their energy contract knows this. I've been with you for 25 years. Any chance of a discount? No, those only for new customers. But I've been with you for 25 years. Thanks. Long obedience in the same direction. It's commitment, it's reliability, it's perseverance, it's hard work, it's mundane, it's tough. Hence why we need this characteristic of God born within us by the Holy Spirit. We can't just drum it up ourselves. I don't know what promises you have in your life. I don't know whether they're genuine promises from God that have been given to you or whether you're assuming them for yourself. I don't know. But there is one promise that God has fundamentally given to all of us and it's based on the TV series Friends. I'll be there for you. Let's get rid of them, shall we? That's the promise. I'll be there for you. But, and this is the interesting bit, only if you want me to be. I quoted uh, 2 Timothy just a few moments ago. But there's a verse just before 2 Timothy 13 which says, if you disown me, I will disown you. This is God. This is not God having a bit of a a, a strop going, you're not nice to me, I'm not going to be nice to you. It's God's faithfulness to his promise of free will. If you don't want me, I'm not going to force myself on you. If you want to walk away, you can walk away. We see it throughout the story of Israel. God's saying, don't go away from me because tough stuff's going to happen. And, you know, reject me, but I'll reject you. They go away. The story of Hosea. The story of Jesus and and Israel. And in 2 Timothy, you disown me, I'll disown you. But one thing is sure, God will not be the unfaithful one in this. I was talking to a friend just this week, talking about faithfulness. He was reading about it and he was struggling with it, with his question of God, look at all this tough stuff that's happened to me. Why aren't you faithful? And this phrase, which I learned many years ago, came to mind. If God seems far away, guess who moved? <laughs>
If God seems far away, guess who moved? God will not move. He may be silent sometimes, but he is there. So we have the rock, we have the ring, and we finally just briefly think about the fact we have a robe. It's pantomime season soon, isn't it? Yes, I wrote that in my notes that someone would do that. It's pantomime season, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's one of the classic phrases. What's one of the other classic phrases in pantomime? It's behind you. And you go, what? What? It's behind you. God is behind you when you turn away from him. And all it takes, like the pantomime character, is to turn around and look back at him. Turn around to see the one you've rejected, you've hurt, you've broken faith with, the one that you've disowned, the rock which you stopped relying upon and finding security in. Turn around and see that he is there waiting like a loving father. And so the son ran away. He wanted to do his own thing. He thought he could make it on his own. He didn't. He made a mess up. And he thought, dad's not going to want me back. And so he rehearses what he thinks his dad wants to hear. This will convince him. And as he's walking over the hill, he looks and he sees in the distance his father, his daddy, looking for him, waiting for him with arms open wide. And his father runs to him, throws his arm around him, and gives him a robe and says, you are welcome home. One thing God guarantees, he will always be there. Even when you reject him, if you turn back, he will be there for you. Throughout the entirety of Scripture, there's always a remnant, always a way home, but that way home is via a cross and the person who made it possible. From the very start in Genesis 3, when God promises that the mess you've made humanity, I'm going to take the flack for. To a promise to Abraham, he says, you break this covenant, I'll take the blame. All the way through to Isaiah, when he says, by his wounds, we will be healed. In Jeremiah 29, it says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew, Jesus says, ask and you will, you'll be um, answered. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be, given, be opened unto you. God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is firm. He is the I am. He says, I will love you even if you reject me. And if you reject me, I will let you go. But you turn back and I will be there waiting for you. He is the rock which is unchanging. He is the ring which promises that he is not going to let go of us. He will remain faithful to us. And he is the person who has got a robe that is dying to wrap it around us when we choose to come back to him. Loyal to God with long obedience in his direction. To be known as solid, reliable people of God within a world with shifting sands of fads and trends. That this solidity is God's unremitting, endless and pursuing love and that we have a message of God's faithfulness in offering forgiveness, in offering acceptance when we turn, when we repent. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind a bit more of that faithfulness in my life. 
You? And then maybe, just maybe, someone might sniff me and go, I can sense faithfulness there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Ruth, uh, Catherine, there you are.